morning. Glad that you're with us this morning. It sounds like eight of you are awake. That's really good. So better than some days. Don't forget to fill out our card, please, or do the QR code. That helps so much in the office if you can do that. Boy, what a great service overall, obviously, but Brooks did such a fantastic job on that prayer today. And uh, what a heart. That may be the most beautiful prayer I've heard in a long, long time, to hear his heart. And don't we all want to have the heart of a child and a heart that loves God like that? This morning we continue to talk about unsung heroes, and there's so many, and today we're talking about the seamstress, and you may know who that is already, or you may not. This may be new to you, or you may have just read down the notes on the back of the bulletin and figured it out already, and that's okay too if you want. But today we're thinking about some obituaries that have been, these are, I'm going to present a couple of them to you today. They are real. They are from Legacy.com, which you know Legacy are the people who have, rest, or have, have funeral homes and they have they put in the, the obituaries in the newspapers. These are real, okay? So, so I didn't make these up. Someone else didn't make them up. But I want you to see the first one here this morning. This is by someone who lived in Ohio. Scott Ensminger, 55, of Mansfield, Ohio, died Thursday, July 4th, 2013, at his residence. He retired from General Motors after 32 years of service. He was an accomplished musician, loved playing the guitar, was a member of the old Fogies band. A lifelong Cleveland Browns fan and season ticket holder, he also wrote a song each year and sent it to the Cleveland Browns as an offering of, of advice on how to run the team. He respectfully requests six Cleveland Brown pallbearers so the Browns can let him down one last time. That's pretty good, isn't it? That is a guy with a sense of humor, or his family does. I like that one. But let me tell you, this next one, it's not a good one, okay? Just want you to already know this is not one. The name I just took out here, because this is from Galveston, and uh, we'll just call him Joe, kind of a generic name here. Joe was born in Galveston on November 20th, 1942, and passed away January 30th. 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. At a young age, Joe quickly became a model example of bad parenting and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Joe enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as part of a plea deal to escape sentencing criminal charges. Uh, Joe's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing. Joe's life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With Joe passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. Joe's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. Wow, can you believe that was printed in the newspaper? So an interview was done with the writer of this, his daughter. And his daughter said, I wanted this printed in order to help other families and maybe help people to be proactive in the way they live. That is tough. And I, now I'm not guilty of those things, but I do pray that when I die, there isn't something similar to that printed about me. I'd rather have a few jokes about the Cleveland Browns, right? 
We certainly can make them about the Texans these days. So how do you want to be remembered? What is it that you want people to say when you pass from this life? What you would want your grandchildren to say about your great-grandchildren? What is it you would want them to remember? I love genealogy, and I love to study about family things, and I have realized that my family has a very interesting history. 300 years of farming, that's it. That's all they ever did, and I don't even know how to grow a tomato. So, so but what is it we want them to remember about us? If someone were to describe us, if our spouse or our child or the neighbor were to describe us, what would they say? So the only way you can get that to be good things is if you are doing good things right now. If you are helping people right now. That's the only way that that will ever come. So this takes us to the story of the seamstress, a true story inspired by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 39, the Bible says in Joppa, which now is part of modern-day Tel Aviv. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, which was like 10 miles away, they sent two men to him and urged him, "'Please come at once.' Peter went with them, and he arrived. He was taken upstairs to the room." And all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So you can imagine this scene. They believe and they know that Peter has the power of the Holy Spirit in him and hope that he can come and raise her. Just like if one of our relatives had died and someone was close that could do that, we would certainly send for them. And so they send for Peter. He's just close. And then you know from what Grant read this morning in the scripture reading, he is going to resurrect her through prayer. And God's going to resurrect her, but Peter will be that instrument. And so you can see all of this happening, and you can see see this woman, this woman by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas. And what do we know about Tabitha? Let me say this first of all, and this isn't on your screen, that seems kind of interesting to me. Her name was Tabitha in Aramaic. That would have been the language that, that most people spoke in the Jewish world that lived in Israel. But then there were other folks that were from outside who had moved in, that many of them also being Jewish, not all of them, but had what we might say immigrated in, even if they were of a Jewish background. And they would have spoken Greek. And you know the New Testament was written in Greek because it was the language, the trade language of the day. And so she has her name translated here for us, Tabitha and Dorcas. Now it's interesting, it means two things. It means gazelle and it means gorgeous at the same time. I guess a gorgeous gazelle. I don't know, the way the gazelle would move, right? And so this tells me something, I think, at least indicates something about this woman. She is known by some as Dorcas. She is known by others as Tabitha. She is crossing barriers, cultural language barriers, that she is helping people on both sides here. Because he wants, wants us to make sure we know her name is Tabitha, and to make sure that who I'm referring to is Dorcas, because there were people who knew her by both names. There is something powerful there about a Christ, what we would say the Christian 
witness is, or what a Christian does, is crosses barriers, but is always a Christian. Now, another thing that the Bible says here is that she's named, she's a disciple. Three different places in the Bible talk about women being included in the names of disciples, which is kind of an interesting thing at a time whenever, as we talked last week, that women were kind of forgotten that it was a completely 100% male-dominated world, but Jesus often talks about women and, and the importance of them in his ministry. But she is the only one that is listed specifically, where the Bible says specifically, she was a disciple. Now, this is important. She believed in Jesus as the Son of God. She followed Jesus. She didn't just believe it. She acted on it. There are millions of people in the world even today that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And there are millions of people today in the world that believe he's the Son of God, but don't do a thing. I mean, we could probably right now get out and, and go door knocking and just say, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And if people would open the door, if they would get off the couch, they'd probably say yes, but aren't doing anything with it. Tabitha believes he's the Son of God, and she does something with it. She is a disciple. The Bible says, and boy, wouldn't this be great to be known by, that she is always doing good. You know, I'm kind of scared. Some of you might say, if you only see me, see me on Sunday, yeah, David is always doing good. But if you talk to Barbara, she would say, yeah, David sometimes does good, right? She is known as a person who is always doing good. That's the way I would want to be known, wouldn't you? I mean, this is a person that other people just say, wow, just think about her. Every time I turn around, she's doing something for somebody else. She cares about people, and she apparently is doing it in the name of Jesus because she's a disciple. It says specifically here that she is helping the poor. Widows would have been very poor. They can't work, and they have no one to provide for them. And the way you become an official widow in the first century Jewish world is you have no one to provide for you, and you can't provide for yourself. So she is helping these poor folks who need help, who are in need. Wow, that says something else about her and her heart and who she is. It says that she made clothes. You know, today, if you want to buy clothes, you can go to the mall. You can just, right now, some of you have probably bought a few things on Amazon while you've sat there during this sermon. I mean, you can, you know, you can buy any time these days. Or you can wait and get your 30% off of 30% on your Kohl's coupon and go this afternoon and buy something. But it didn't work that way in the first century. It didn't work that way. Instead, here she is providing clothes for people and other things, it says, but clothes for people who are in need, and they are so overwhelmed when she dies that they bring them and show Peter. I want you to see this dress she made for me. I want, her, I want you to see this sash she made. I want you to see how she clothed my child. I mean, this is overwhelming to think about the good that this woman had done. Don't you want to be that kind of person who is known for always doing good. You know, it makes me think of a woman who just passed in this congregation that many of you knew, not everybody, but Patty Pettigrew was her name. Patty was over 90 years old, and Patty, her mind was good right up until the end, and she would call me often on Sunday afternoons, usually to tell me a story that my sermon made her think of, 
and every once in a while to correct something that I had said in a sermon, but always in a nice way. She was such a wonderful woman. Even though she was housebound, there was a group of women her age and younger that met at her house every week for worship. They'd meet, they would watch the streaming, and they would meet, and she would help those folks in whatever way she could, never stopping. Wouldn't it be easy to say, what can I do? I can't do anything, I'm homebound. But somehow she found a way to do something in the name of Jesus to help other people. All of us have that responsibility and that opportunity. In our years in Brazil, there was a man that, boy, we all studied with him at some point, and one of my teammates especially did, and, and, and one day this man was baptized, and I was telling him afterwards, I'm so excited he'd been baptized into Christ, and he said, you know, there's not a thing I can do. I have no talent. I can't do anything. I said, sure you can. Well, what could I do? I can't, I can't, can't preach. I said, for one thing, you're a photographer, and we need a church directory. We'd never thought about a directory before, but now we've got a photographer. I said, we could have a church directory. So he says, okay, and he takes pictures of all the members, and we make our first little church directory there. Well, then after a while, and he's doing that, and he's listening, going to Bible classes, involved in things, and he finally one day came to one of us and said, you know, the singing is so bad in this church, I'm going to start leading singing myself. And all once he became the song leader for the church. Now he used, he's used that photography in several times when he's been asked by mission groups from Churches of Christ, could you go to other countries and take pictures of different cities and just take pictures and send back so that we can use them in advertising to encourage other missionaries to go and work in those cities? So he's gone to places like Buenos, Buenos Aires and, and Asuncion and other capitals in South America. He's one of the leaders of that congregation now 20 years later. And can you imagine at first, there's not anything I can do. But standing up finally and saying, of course I can. There are places I can use what I have. What's interesting about this woman, Tabitha, is we never hear her say a word. Yet she is an incredible leader in what she does. She is remembered, and Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to make sure that we know this woman that we don't hear anything from, that just in case you don't realize her name's Tabitha, it's Dorcas. So whichever language you're working in, you'll know who she is. She is a leader because of the way she serves other people. There's a quote someone said that said, What a great favor God does to those he places in the company of good people. What a great favor it is to be in the company of good people. Boy, I have been blessed in my life. I've been so blessed to be around so many good people, and I don't deserve a thing. Not a single thing. But God has put good people around me my whole life. And, and I can't even explain it. I don't understand it. Seems like my life could have kind of teetered there for a little bit. When I was a kid, my dad passed away, but here swooped in folks to help me and lead me along the way. Some of them told me they were leading me. Others didn't even tell me they were leading me, and I just realized years later they had. Wow, it is a blessing to be around good people. But when you are around good people, don't you see, realize when you've been helped by them that it's now our responsibility to be the good people for someone else to help other people in their, in their walk. So it's 
Grant read in our reading today, Peter did come in. She was resurrected from, from the dead, and how exciting that would have been. But what was, what was the result of resurrecting a good person? Let me stutter here. What, what was the result of resurrecting a good person? Well, you know what it was because you saw what happened there. In Acts chapter 9, verse 12, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. When a good person came back to life, many people believed in the Lord. Now, I wish there were a way to bring people back from the dead today, but we don't have that. But if good people were to come back, people would believe. But have you ever thought what would happen if bad people came back to life? What if Adolf Hitler was resurrected from the grave? What if Osama bin Laden was resurrected from the grave? You talk about scared, but instead of being scared, whenever, whenever Tabitha comes back to life, people are drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to him because of who he is. That's the kind of person I want to be that draws other people to God. So what would compel Tabitha to help other people? What would be the compelling thing to do that? Because, you know, you think about her life, she could have just made clothes for herself and really had the finest clothes of anybody around. She could have just made clothes for her family. I'm going to take care of those closest to me. She could have done that. And she could have just said, you know what, I'm not going to buy material and waste my time sewing Instead, I'm, I've got hobbies to do. I have other things to do. I'm going to spend my money on other things, on myself, matter of fact. What would compel her to sow and to help? Because you realize this is not just giving money, although giving money is great. This is actual work that she's doing for other people. What's well, John chapter 15, verse 12. You know this verse. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. She loves people. You know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, with all whole, your whole being. And the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. What she is doing already as a disciple, we know that she loves God. And now what we see her doing is acting out that love for God by helping other people who are in need. It is that love for God that compels her to share her faith and to live her faith. If I sit, I can sit around all day and talk about how much I love God. I can write all day online how much I love God. But if I am not helping people, I am not living out that faith that puts God first and makes this world a better place. That's what I'm called to be. I help because I have been helped. When I realize all the help that I've gotten in my life, how can I not help other people? When I think about the times that, that, that people stepped in for me, how can I not help other people? Now, you might be sitting there today saying, David, I wasn't helped by anyone. I just kind of stumbled in here today. I haven't been helped. I mean, my mother left me. My dad left me. I've been left. I've been forgotten. Nobody helped me. I've got student loans that are gazillions of dollars. Nobody helped me do anything except God, who gave his one and only Son for you. Except God, who said, whatever you're going through right now is temporary, and I'm going to give you eternal life if you'll just come my way. 
every one of us should realize we have been helped in overwhelming ways by God himself, if no other place, by God. But my guess is, is that almost all of us, if not all of us, can stop and think about people who have really helped us in life. And because of that, we should take that and help other people, whether it be monetarily or physically, whatever it is, we ought to be helping other people because we have been helped. But help others out of appreciation, not out of expectation. I help because I appreciate what has been done for me, not because I'm expecting something back. Now, I realize that in relationships, we, we, we need to both be giving. I, I get that. I understand that. But when I give, I'm not saying, okay, now what are you going to give me back? Because if I give to you, expecting something back, was I not really just giving to myself? Because I'm still being selfish. It's about me, rather than it be about you and my relationship to God. So it's to put God first, and I just give. I give because I have received. And what Jesus says over and over is if you give like that, you are going to receive back. It may not be in piles of $100 bills. It may not be in physical things, but you are going to receive. It may be, but you are going to receive. The way to, to receive is to give. The way to be disappointed is to always expect, expect people to, to give you back something because you will be disappointed by that. If you are keeping a record of what people have given back, be prepared to be so sad and so hard-hearted in just a few, few years. Because people don't always do what they're supposed to, and they won't because it's the nature of sin and the way people are. But I want to be one of those people that gives and loves. So what good will be mentioned in my life story? What good will people talk about? Tomorrow I'm doing a funeral service for a man that I never met. Met his family, met his wife, and know some of the family. And we've talked about things that I'm going to say tomorrow about him. He loved his country very much and did some really good things, and he loved his family. And always when I do those kind of services, they always make me think about my own. And I do or help in a lot of those types of services. And so it always makes me think about what will be said about me some, someday. So I figure, and you know, I have like about, if you're alive when my service comes, just know it's going to be long, because not because of what will be said, but I have like 48 songs I want to be in the service, okay? We'll have to narrow that down as we get closer to it. And most of them are not songs you would ever pick for, for a funeral anyway. But I figure someone will say something about my really dumb dad jokes at some point. Because I can, I can if you have a dumb one, I can, I can give you one even, even more ridiculous than that. You will not laugh, and that will make me laugh that you don't laugh. I like it when people don't laugh. Someone will talk about that probably. My guess is they'll talk about my love of sports and even 
my love of, of watching baseball. I figure that'll come up, because I like that. But I wonder if they'll talk about how they were closer to God, to Jesus, because I lived. I wonder if they'll say, I got a glimpse of what it was like to be like Christ because of, Jesus, because of David's life. This is, a kind, this is the thing that makes me hate my sin so much. Because I think if that's what people see, there's nothing good to say. It's disappointing to God, it's disappointing to me. What will my wife say? What will my daughter say? What will my son-in-law say? What will the church say? You know how it is when you think about some people, the first thing that comes to your mind is not one you'd probably say at their service, right? With some folks. What good will be mentioned about my life? If a movie were made about my life and they interviewed the neighbors as well as the family, what would it be like? But when we stop and think, it's not about us, but we feel that, certainly as people. Will it be that we have been glorifying God and loving Him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind and might? Will it be that we loved our neighbors as ourselves and we cared for people that weren't like us and cared about people who could not pay us back? Or will it be a different story? Well, let me tell you how to start the walk. The place we start the walk is putting our faith in Jesus and then being baptized into Jesus, becoming a disciple like Tabitha. We're baptized. And the Bible says that he takes away our sins and in its place we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, of God living in us. And we start this journey, this walk of saying, what would Jesus want rather than what do I want? And honoring God. That's the beginning part. And you can be baptized today. Just like Craig talked, we've had, had several baptisms recently. You can be baptized into Christ. The baptistry is right behind this screen. And you can respond here when we sing, or you can talk to me afterwards. Others of us. This may be we want the whole church to pray for us. But this may be different than wanting the whole church to pray. This may be, i got to be different when I go to work tomorrow than what I've been. I don't need to be the grouch when I go to work. I don't need to be the complainer when I go to work. I don't need to be the one that people run from. I need to be the one that looks like Jesus. This could be even in the, in the car on the way home today. Hey, kids, <laughs> mom, dad, whoever. I want you to know I'm working on a change. And I'm sorry for what, where I've, what I've been, but I'm working on a change. And I pray that you help me to get there. That may be what it is. Whatever it is, we're a family that wants to help each other forgive and work together. Because we want to be better. We want to be like Tabitha. Come this morning as we stand and sing. Jesus is mine.